Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That is me. Thanks again for uh, if you're a returning listener to the show. And if you're a newcomer, then welcome aboard. If you're a patron at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show, then I really appreciate uh, your support. Uh, and if you would like early access and become a patron as well, two bucks a month is all it costs. You go to patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show. Uh, check it out. You can hear all the interviews that you get on a regular full episode of the Pipeline Show. You get to hear them uh, two, three, sometimes four days before everybody else uh, as uh, a patron has early access uh, privileges. Have a loaded show for you today, so I'm going to get, uh, we'll go through the uh, quick news and notes. I'm going to skip the question of the week this time, and uh, then we'll get right into the meat of the show. Let's start in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League as the teams that are converging on Quebec City are going to start doing that. They actually, in fact, have uh, started to do that now. The first batch of games uh, started on the 17th. Uh, Blainville Boisbriand, uh, a 5-1 victory over Victoriaville in the Quebec Rampart, 4-2 over Shawinigan. Four more games on Wednesday, and of course they're playing a, a 10-day round robin in the bubble, and knock on wood, everything goes well in uh, in that format. Maybe we'll start seeing that uh, in other leagues as well. We know the NCHC is going to try that in the NCAA uh, but maybe in the second half of the seasons, we'll start seeing that uh, considered by a lot more leagues, too. Uh, in the queue, the uh, standings right now, uh, Charlottetown has the uh, top record. They are 12-2 and with an 8.57 winning percentage. And right now, you kind of almost have to go by winning percentage because of uh, the big disparage between games played uh, from uh, some teams. In fact, like B- Blainville, Boisbriand, the BB Armada. They've only played three games. They've won them all, so I guess technically they'd be in first place, but you know they played three games. Charlottetown has played 14, so big difference there. But Victoriaville and Quebec also with a really strong records. Again, the Remparts have only played three games. Gatineau has only played five, but they are 4-1, and one, so those teams off to a, a pretty good start. Of the clubs who have played, say, more than 10 games, Acadie Bathurst, uh, the Titans, are probably the uh, the number two team right now behind Charlottetown. Now that all the teams are playing again, uh, it will be interesting to follow uh, what's happening in the queue. 
The scoring leaders in the queue, uh, Sean Element from the Cape Breton Eagles. He has 28 points. Cedric DeRouzeau uh, of Charlottetown has 27. That club's been on fire, and so has he. Elliot Denoyer uh, from the Halifax Mooseheads has 24 points. He's followed by Thomas Casey from Charlottetown with 23. And uh, Bathurst forward Matthew Degonier has 22 points. Top goaltender Francesco Lapena from the Drummondville Voltageur has a 9.32 save percentage and a 198 goals against average. Just pulling up his uh, numbers to see how many games he's played. He's played in four games so far. Uh, closer to home here, the Alberta Junior Hockey League started up last weekend. 13 of the uh, league's 15 teams were in action. Big meeting between the two uh, Edmonton area clubs as uh, Spruce Grove and the Sherwood Park Crusaders met a couple of times. Uh, Spruce Grove won both of those games. Uh, one of them went to overtime, so the crew got one point there. And the Okotoks Oilers are off to a 3-0 and start in the uh, South Division. Going to talk a little AJHL Later on in the show, we'll get to that in a moment. South of the border, the USHL started up. Uh, well, uh, a few of the games happened, so we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, and big news, uh, the Big Ten, no pun intended, but conference play began last weekend as well. There were there were four games that were played. Uh, Wisconsin and Notre Dame played a set uh, with the Badgers winning both of those games, 2-0 on opening night, 5-3. The second game on the Saturday then Arizona State was in Michigan to take on the Wolverines, and it was uh, all Wolverines all the time. 8-1, they won the first game, 3-zip in the second game. And uh, Kent Johnson, who played in trail last year with the Smoke Eaters in the BCHL, freshman at Michigan, five points in the first two games. He leads the NCAA in scoring now. Quite the start. Guy expected to go in the uh, top 10 in the 2021 NHL draft. Owen Power also on that club, three points. There was one game that was canceled, uh, Long Island. The Sharks were supposed to make their debut against Army, but that game was canceled for COVID reasons. But the Sharks will get going this week. In fact, as I'm speaking with you right now, it is Thursday. They will play tonight against Holy Cross. They'll also uh, play the Crusaders again on Sunday. Other games going this week, Michigan will take on Wisconsin, Penn State against Minnesota. Arizona State will take on Michigan State. Those games all tonight. And this weekend in Hockey East, Boston College will take on New Hampshire. And uh, some other games this weekend, AIC, the uh, Yellow Jackets, uh, welcome Sacred Heart to town. Robert Morris will play Alabama Huntsville, and Michigan Tech will square off against Lake Superior. Oh, Clarkson's going to play Colgate, Michigan Tech, and Lake Superior. And uh, Bemidji State is at home to Minnesota State. So lots of games happening this weekend. Certainly not a full slate of games, and... More bad news for some teams. I think it's up to nine teams who have canceled their seasons. Although, I, I did read that RIT is considering uh, reversing that decision and that they might still play. I'll follow USCHO and uh, College Hockey News for the latest on uh, that situation. Hockey Canada began their uh, World Junior Camp uh, down in Red Deer. And I know my friends at Troubled Monk uh, sent a care package to the uh, the coaching staff and uh, well, all the support staff as well, all the brass for Hockey Canada. Uh, when they arrived to town uh, three or four days before the players did. Uh, but uh, practices uh, have begun in Red Deer, so we'll keep an eye on that moving forward as well. As for the guest list today, you're going to have uh, four, actually five guests on this week's show. All of them join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. The uh, tap room in Red Deer is open. I saw that the Troubled Monk is having something they call tie-dye night, according to the tweet. 
It's your chance to make your own Monk merch and memories. We supply the tie-dye, a t-shirt, a pair of socks, and a beer. 40 bucks at the door. You can get in touch with them. You'll have to email to uh, reserve a spot. Taproom at troubledmonk.com. Of course, that would be right in Red Deer. But if you're not in Red Deer and you're in one of the uh, major cities in Alberta, being uh, Calgary, Edmonton, Red Deer, St. Albert, or Sherwood Park, those five major cities in Alberta, there are there are others as well, but uh, to get the same-day home delivery, uh, you got to be in one of those five locations at the moment. Uh, you order by 1 p.m., you go to troubledmonk.com, place that order, use promo code PIPELINE, and it doesn't matter how much beer or spirits or soda that you're buying, uh, as long as you use the code PIPELINE, uh, the uh, delivery costs will be waived. So uh, get that order in before 1 o'clock, and uh, you can enjoy a variety of uh, craft beverages that evening. Here's the guest list for this week's episode. We'll start in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Tim Rozelle is the uh, play-by-play voice of the Moncton Wildcats. We'll check in with that club. Man, you think of all the teams that were hurt by the, uh, the stoppage last year, and obviously every team was hurt by it, but some to a more significant degree. Well, the Moncton Wildcats were having a good year, and they went all in on winning the uh, President's Trophy and uh, were well on their way. They were one of the one of the favorites in that league. And uh, then we all know what happened with the playoffs. So we'll talk to Tim to see uh, how long it's going to take for that franchise to recover as they pushed all their chips into the middle of the table and they didn't even get to play. From that conversation, we'll uh, head south of the border. Todd Maluski covers the uh, University of Wisconsin, the Badgers. We'll talk to him about opening weekend. Uh, what that club looks like moving forward. Also get into the whole situation about uh, the somewhat controversial argument about uh, Dylan Holloway. Should he leave? We know now that he has gone and uh, will be in Red Deer. I think he's got a quarantine, though, for a couple of weeks. So he has left the Badgers. uh, But there was talk about um, could he stay and play for a couple more weeks with the Badgers before he went to Team Canada. Canada wanted him at the start of uh, training camp. Uh, whereas the Badgers were saying, listen, you decided to have this extra long camp after we'd already made our schedule. So you can certainly understand the disappointment from uh, Tony Granato's side of things and uh, what happened with Michigan and Owen Power, where that defenseman not going to Canada's camp, at least not yet. Uh, Well, that's something that we were able to chat with Todd Maluski about. So you hear that on this week's show as well. Then the commissioner of the Alberta Junior Hockey League will join me, Ryan Bartoshik, and uh, we'll talk about uh, all of the the hurdles and all the uh, steps that had to be taken care of and put in place so that the AJHL could actually begin its regular season last weekend. A lot of information in that conversation. And then I mentioned the uh, Long Island University Sharks, supposed to have uh, made their debut last weekend. That's going to happen now this week. And we'll talk with a player and the head coach, uh, Jacob Franzak, a freshman with LIU, former Sherwood Park Crusader. He's going to join us as well as head coach Brett Riley. So uh, enjoy that conversation. Both of those conversations uh, will be put together in the final segment of this week's episode. So lots to get to. Why don't we get right to it? Uh, And uh, Tim Roselle, the uh, voice of the Moncton Wildcats, he's up first on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The dogs are 0 for 1 on the man advantage. Here's Shabbat through center. He's in through the middle. Nice move. He's in a long goes coast to coast for a power play goal in a 2-2 game. 
My name is Thomas Shabbat. I'm playing for the St. John Sea Dogs, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung pop. This is the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and let's uh, begin this episode for the week. Uh, we'll head out to the queue and get an update on what's happening in the Quebec Hockey League because uh, there is stuff happening in uh, the sense that uh, a number of teams that haven't been active are suddenly going to be all thrust together and uh, will play in a bubble in Quebec City. We'll touch on that. Uh, but we're going to head to Moncton, where the uh, Moncton Wildcats off to a well, uh, just under 500 season, but hey, at least they're playing, which also means that uh, my next guest is calling some games. Uh, Tim Roselle, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Tim, how are you? I'm great, Guy. Good to be back with you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you making the time. Uh, let's get right to the hockey. Uh, first off, uh, how things have gone this year uh, for the Moncton Wildcats. As I mentioned, just below 500 right now as you and I are speaking with a 6-7 and seven record. But uh, it could be a lot worse. You might only have two games under your belt like some teams. Well, exactly, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I certainly can't speak for, for the coaching staff and management of the team. But uh, from where I'm sitting, uh, you know, I, I think overall the team would be, would be fairly pleased with what they've seen. I mean, this is a team that had uh, considerable roster turnover in the offseason uh, after the end of last season was, was canceled, of course. Uh, you know, Moncton had built itself up over the previous two or three years to get itself ready for what was what it was hoping to be, uh, you know, a, a considerably lengthy playoff run, potentially a league championship and, and maybe a trip out west to the Memorial Cup. But, uh, you know, COVID-19 had a different plan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and unfortunately, that didn't happen. And for the Wildcats, that meant that they had to uh, basically rebuild their roster almost from the ground up. They only have uh, eight returning players on the club this year. And, uh, and, you know, many of them are, are guys that, uh, that were in, in much smaller roles previously that have taken on much larger roles this year. And so there were a lot of jobs that were open, a lot of rookie players coming in to try and fill the void. And, uh, you know what? They've, they've impressed. Uh, there, there have been some challenges without question. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the fact that, that the team is, is just a hair below 500 nearly a quarter of the way through the season, I, I think is something that, uh, you know, that the team should be pleased with. I want to go back to what you were saying at the start there about how, uh, uh the, uh, the stoppage last year really ruined what was turning into a pretty special, uh, spring, uh, the Moncton Wildcats and, uh, it was Sherbrooke, the two teams at the top of the standings and it looked like it was going to be a, 
a really competitive playoffs uh, for those two clubs and probably meet in the uh, in the league final. For both of those teams, uh, the COVID-19 situation, what what a gut punch that must have been for the organizations, both of them, uh, not just on the ice, but probably financially as well. Just how has uh, ownership uh, and everything around the Moncton Wildcats sort of something that it, it might even take a, a year or two to recover from, no? Is that fair to say? Well, yeah, absolutely it's fair to say. Um, you know, as I said, this was a club that, that, that bottomed out about three years ago and and really went with a true rebuild, just completely blew it up and, uh, and went through the draft and, and made smart selections and made, uh, you know, built up the assets needed to, uh, eventually make a few deals that put them in position to, to really make a good run for it last year. And, and you look at some of the players that were on that roster, Olivier Rodrigue and Edmonton Oilers prospect who was the team's number one goaltender. Uh, they had, they had acquired, uh, Benoit Olivier Grew and, uh, Jared McIsaac. From uh, from the Halifax Mooseheads, grew as an Anaheim Ducks pick. McIsaac, a Red Wings prospect. Uh, you know the team uh, had uh, Gabriel Forche, who is back this year. Tampa Bay Lightning second rounder, Jordan Spence, an LA Kings uh, fourth rounder, and a, and a guy who's going to the World Junior Selection Camp this year. Jacob Pelche, of course, Calgary Flames uh, first round pick as well. Uh, the the team was stacked, and and it was it was ready to you know again to to potentially make a, a lengthy run. Now there was a, a bit of a glut of teams that were trying to go for it in the Eastern conference. So the East was going to be a bit of a bloodbath just to even make it, uh, make it through to the finals. Sherbrooke was looking pretty good in the West and, and they were kind of the only team that really, really went for it in the Western, uh, in the Western conference. But in the East you had, you had Moncton, you had Ramuski, uh, you had Shakutami and you had Cape Breton, all those teams uh, you know, that, uh, that we're really building up and, and trying to take a shot at it. And so, you know, once you get through the first round, if all four teams were, were able to make it through, then you're facing some real, real challenging, uh, you know, some challenging series and some, you know, some, uh, you're going to have to get to get through some pain to, to get to where you wanted to go. Hmm. And then unfortunately, just the way things turned out, uh, you know, we'll, we'll never know exactly, uh, what ultimately would have happened in those uh, in those playoff runs because they just didn't happen and and so you know the the uh the wildcats are very fortunate that they have a a, a committed and dedicated owner in in robert irving and uh and mr irving i'm sure without speaking to him directly i'm sure was extremely disappointed uh with the way uh things ended last year but uh, obviously understanding as well it's it's not like there was anything that could be done about it and so you just have to sort of pick up and and uh, and move on as best you can and uh so you know the the rebuild started uh really at the draft uh there were some some second parts of trades from last year that had to be completed but uh, also some other moves jacob pelche being one of them traded to uh, to valdor uh in a trade that ended up being a a bit of a two-part trade itself because the wildcats acquired some high draft picks and a prospect and then uh, traded down in the draft uh, to uh, to get even more picks. So, um, you know, uh, Richie Tebow, the director of hockey operations, tried to maximize his assets as best he could. And, and you know, he's still got some more moves to make. Uh, the Wildcats have four overagers on their roster right now. All four are returnees from last year. Uh, you know, at some point, one of those players uh, or potentially more will have to uh, uh, will have to say goodbye. And that's unfortunate, but it's the way things work. Um, but uh, you know, again, full credit to to the organization for 
for digging deep, for finding players, and and for uh, you know dipping into their uh, into their own uh, prospect pipeline, and, and uh, you know and and kind of accelerating the rebuild a little bit, uh, you know, to the point where the team is only a game under 500 now as as we approach the quarter pole here. So, um, you know, it's it, from a from a from a fan perspective, it, it was very disappointing. This team. Uh, hasn't won a President Cup championship in 10 years. Uh, they were really hopeful that uh, that there was going to be something special building with that Wildcats team last year, and, and there was. Um, but, you know, it's it's just unfortunate the way things work out the way they do. So, um, you know, you, you move on and you try and, and, and build that next great Wildcats team from the ground up, and these are the these are the building blocks that are going to be part of it. Tim Rozell, the uh, radio voice of the Moncton Wildcats, my guest, joins me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Uh, let's talk about uh, what you've seen so far on the ice from uh, the Wildcats. And again, you're playing, only the Maritime teams are playing against one another. So are you uh, sick of seeing the other five clubs uh, on the East Coast or uh, <laughs> are you going to have to get used to that? Well, I'm going to go back to what you said off the top of the show, being the fact that uh, that I'm still able to call games right now, and that's the most important thing uh, that everybody's healthy and, and that everybody's able to to play and participate. And uh, so, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, we had a little blip uh, on the on the schedule a couple of weeks into the season, where the uh, the health zone that includes the the city of Moncton. Uh, was was forced to take a step back because of an outbreak at a long-term care facility, uh, an outbreak of COVID-19. So it was put into a, a more restricted uh, type of recovery, what they call the orange phase. And uh, and because of that, uh, the Wildcats had to had to postpone three games. And uh, so those games were, uh, you know, fortunately the outbreak was contained fairly quickly, and the Wildcats were only out of game action for for two weeks. But when the when the games were rescheduled, uh, two of them were were against St. John, and so because of the way the rescheduled games were played out, Moncton ended up playing St. John four times in a, a span of I believe it was ten days, hmm. and so it it had a, a play and there was another game in between that as well. So uh, it had very much a, a playoff series type of feel to it, and. Um, but you know, everyone everyone is really kind of understanding with what's going on. You're seeing everybody follow the rules, doing what they're supposed to do, understanding that uh, you know what there are some things that that uh, you know that we were able to do before that uh, from a you know from an organizational standpoint or from you know for, from for me from a broadcasting standpoint that uh, you know that maybe I could do uh, last season that I can't do right now. Um, but we're you know we're finding ways to get through and finding ways to. Uh, you know, to bring more content to fans and, and just to make it as entertaining as we can, knowing that, uh, you know, we're fortunate that uh, in the Maritimes, we're allowed to have a few fans in the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the 12 teams that are in Quebec, uh, they're not allowed to have any. And that's going to be uh, the case for the entire season unless something changes. So, um, you know, we're it, it's it's as normal as it can be in a in a, a completely bizarre situation. Uh, let's talk about that. What's happening in uh, Quebec City with uh, seven of the teams in that province all gathering? They're going to bubble it up for what is it, ten days? I think they're going to play six or seven games in a round robin format. How important is it for the entire league that that goes very well? I think it's extremely important. And, and before I get into it a little bit more, I really have to take my hats off to 
the commissioner of the QMJHL, Jules Courteau, and, and all of the, the people within the office that put the schedule together. I do not envy their task this year because they have had to scratch things out, start over again, scratch things out, move things here, move games there, and really be creative in trying to find a way to, uh, you know, to make this happen. And I know there are people out there that are saying these games shouldn't be played at all. Uh, I understand that point of view. Um, but at the same time, the, the league is trying to do what it can do to continue on. And that has meant getting creative. And it is all, it has also meant that you have uh, an entire division with the Maritimes division with the six teams there that have all played 12 or 13 games, uh, so far this year. And then you have other teams, as you alluded to earlier on, uh, some of them that have played as little as two. And so this, this bubble setup is going to be interesting. It's, uh, uh from what I understand, I, I haven't, uh, double checked this, the, the, uh, uh, the, the statuses this morning, but I know they were, uh, they were checking the, uh, the teams. They were testing the teams yesterday to make sure that everyone was testing negative before they, they moved them into the bubble. And then starting tomorrow for 11 straight days, all of these teams will be facing each other essentially in a single game round robin. And so 21 games over an 11 day period, uh, all but one day will have uh, two games on it. And, uh, and it's very important. It will allow those seven teams to really kind of catch up in the standings. Uh, there are some other teams, of course, there are 12 teams. Uh, out of the 18 in the QMJHL, there are 12 in the province of Quebec. So with seven of them in the bubble, there are five others that are not. And uh, and those teams have started to play games again uh, after the uh, the entire province of Quebec shut down their games for uh, for a two-week period. And uh, and some have obviously gone even longer than that. And, and that two-week period uh, was something that the league decided to do, whether any teams had had, had positive tests or not. Uh, but as we saw, you know, it was uh, the entire league hasn't been in action since opening weekend. It was only right after the opening weekend that, that players on Glenville Blaubriand tested positive and they were shut down and they have not played since then. And uh, and the same thing with with the Quebec Remparts. They, they didn't have positive tests, but the city of Quebec was in in one of their red health zones. Mm-hmm. So they were shut down. And so. Uh, you know, it's been a real, uh, a, a real chore, um, to, to find a way to, to play as many games as possible. And, and I remember back in the summertime when, uh, when the commissioner, uh, promoted the, the concept of playing a 60 game schedule this year, the regular, regular season would be 68 games, but shortened it down to 60 this year. And one of the reasons why he said he wanted to start at the beginning of October when other leagues were waiting for a while was because he wanted to give himself some runway and give the league some runway if it ran into problems. And, you know, it, it has certainly come in handy this extra time uh, because, you know, again, the league has had to get really creative. I never in my wildest dreams would have thought we would see any kind of a bubble set up in the QMJHL. I thought it was bizarre enough when the NHL did it back in the, in the late summertime to finish off last season. Uh, but I never thought I would see the Q do it. And um, so I think it's very important because I think it could do a number of things. It could show them that, uh, you know, maybe if they need to do it again, yeah. that they could potentially do it again uh, a few weeks down the line. It could also be a precursor to what happens in the playoffs. Uh, if, uh, you know, if they're, 
if there needs to be some sort of setup like that for the playoffs, because when the league announced the game, the schedule for this year, they said the playoff uh, format and, and schedule will be to be determined. And so uh, I think this will be a, a bit of a, a, a trial run for, for a potential playoff bubble as well. Uh, if you do games like maybe, uh, you know, uh, play a couple games, take a day off, play a couple more games, you could complete a series in that 10, 11 day stretch. And so maybe there's a possibility that, uh, that that type of thing happens. I, I, I'm not privy to any of that information, but I'm sure this is all stuff that is going to be evaluated over the course of time and, and, uh, and that type of thing. But, uh, I'm, I'm encouraged that the league is, is, uh, is getting their, their teams back on the ice and I applaud them for, you know, for finding a way to do it again. It's not ideal, but, uh, you know, with no fans in the stands in the province of Quebec right now, anyway, there really wasn't much for, uh, you know, for the teams to lose by, by not, uh, or by, uh, by, by participating in this. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to watch. There'll be an afternoon game and an evening game just about every night, uh, for the next 11 days starting tomorrow. And, and, uh, and it'll be nice to see those teams back on the ice and, and, uh, and, and getting some games in. And knock on wood that it goes off uh, successfully because uh, if it doesn't, uh, that could mean, uh, well, I, I don't know what it would mean if the league would just shut down or if you guys in the in the East would just play a, a six-team league uh, for the rest of the year, what would happen? But let's hope that it doesn't come to that. Before I let you go, I uh, want to ask you about Jordan Spence. He's uh, now in uh, Red Deer with uh, Hockey Canada trying to make the World Junior team. What does he uh, offer for the team? Uh, what does he bring to the table? Jordan Spence uh, has been uh, a real good player for the Moncton Wildcats over the last two-plus seasons. He was not drafted at 16, uh, was picked at 17, and came in right away and, and, and stepped in and, and uh, really didn't look out of place at all. And, um, you know, he's, he's a very smooth skater. Uh, he's very smart, makes a really good first pass out of his own zone. He's not a big guy, but he can play. Uh, and, and manage himself physically. Um, but he's, he's very smart with the puck. He can, he can shoot the puck well. He's, uh, you know, just, just an extremely, uh, smart and well-rounded player. He's not an all offense guy at all. Um, he's, he's smart defensively. He can kill penalties and, and he uses, uh, you know, he uses his, his hockey sense, uh, to sort of make up for, for any potential, uh, lack of size that, uh, you know, that, that you might think that he has. Uh, but I, I think personally, I think he can absolutely compete on the world stage. Um, you know, he's, he's got the right instincts for it. He's, uh, he's a very determined player and he would fit a role, I think, quite well, just about any role that, uh, that could be given to him. If, if you tell him, look, you're going to be a power play guy or, or, or what have you, um, you know, Jordan Spence can be that guy. He's a real good team guy. Uh, he's a leader on the back end as well. Um, you know, he was, uh, basically the elder statesman on the, uh, on the blue line, uh, this year, one of, one of three guys that have kind of been around for, for two plus seasons. But, uh, you know, he was the go-to guy. He's the top power play guy, the top penalty killing guy, uh, and, and a big, big minute muncher as well. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm anxious to see how he does in, in that group and in, in the tryout, uh, the selection camp scenario. Uh, but I think he can absolutely make Team Canada and and, uh, and be a really, really solid contributor to that team. 
well, and expanded rosters this year, so I know Canada's taken eight defensemen. Uh, so a, a bigger opportunity for all the guys who are invited to camp. But, Tim, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Guy. I appreciate it, and good luck to everybody out there, and hopefully we can get back on the ice out in the in the Western League and in the Ontario League uh, safely and and, uh, and have, a, have some good seasons out there as well. Absolutely. Stay safe. All right, man. Take care. Tim Roselle from the Moncton Wildcats. Uh, next scheduled action for the Wildcats is on uh, Friday night where they are hosting the Cape Breton Eagles. In fact, that's a uh, weekend set as the Eagles are there on uh, Saturday as well. Thanks to Tim for joining me via the Troubled Monk hotline. Next up to do the same is uh, Todd Maluski, beat writer at the Wisconsin State Journal, covers the Wisconsin Badgers, who also began their season this past weekend. We'll talk to him about that, about uh, the expectations for the team this year. And Dylan Holloway, off to Canada camp. We'll get the Wisconsin perspective on that too. All that next with Todd Maluski here on the Pipeline Show. McCarthy trying to get it out of his own zone. Picks it up again behind the USA goal. This time a safe play and he finds Turcotte. With Gildon, short-handed and over the line, Turcotte. Out in front, score! What a move! Alex Turcotte, a short-handed goal. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Talent, development, NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Colton Pareko. And Patrick Sharp were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Giant Turkey is a little over the line, my man. Back on the Pipeline Show and time to uh, talk a little college puck, which uh, is great because we can actually talk about games that were played as a Big Ten conference play got underway this past weekend. And uh, my next guest was uh, was at the games. Wisconsin was in Notre Dame to take on the Irish and uh, came away with a uh, weekend sweep. Uh, for the Badgers, uh, Todd Maluski from the Wisconsin State Journal, also USCHO. Well, welcome back to the Pipeline Show, Todd. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It must have been good to get on the road and uh, cover some hockey games as, uh, as well. Sort of get back to some normalcy for you, but I can't imagine it was. Uh, it must have been pretty weird. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's um, you know, first of all, traveling. Uh, in the pandemic that we've got going on in the Midwest of the U.S. here right now is not great. <laughs> I'll put it out there that way, a little bit uh, uh, hanging over everything you do that way uh, with the pandemic. Um, so, you know, you're looking at a hotel room like, what should I touch and what should I not touch? Right. <laughs> going into a rink, what, what, what am I okay putting my computer on? It, it, just those things you've never thought of before. And so, yeah, it was a little weird. And then I mean, the games were weird, but there were some parents there, but, you know, no real big reactions to anything going on. And, uh, uh, you know, talk, there was 
no availability to talk to anyone face to face. Obviously, everything's done over Zoom. So yeah, it was um, it was one of the odder uh, uh, experiences covering hockey that I've had. Yeah. Well, it was a road sweep for uh, Wisconsin, but when there's no fans in the building and and as you described, really lacking that sort of atmosphere, is home ice advantage almost nil this year? That's something I've wondered about, and and looking at what happened last weekend, I I tend to think that yeah, that that may be the case as we go through this because I, looking at Saturday's game, the Badgers got out to a two nothing lead over Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame scored two within two minutes to make it two two, and at that point, you're thinking, okay, if if there was a crowd going here, this might really turn against the Badgers, and they they might struggle even more to to get back into it but they scored a goal before the end of the third period to, to take the lead into the third uh gave up that lead again in the third and so you're thinking again well okay the momentum would be going towards Notre Dame here but Badger scored two more to to get a 5-3 win and yeah I I wonder whether you know maybe it was worth a goal a game a home ice advantage in the past I don't know that that's going to be there uh it, obviously the travel is going to be something for road teams to overcome especially when uh, a lot of them are going to be doing two road trips at a time uh, where you play one game, then you're on stay on the road for three or four days and play, uh, or you play one series and then stay on the road for three or four days and play another series. So that will be, um, I think, detrimental to teams on the road, but playing in, in the building, probably not as much. What, what do you think of the quality of play? I, I mean, all of these teams haven't played a meaningful game since March. They've been practicing and, and uh, all of that for a while now, but it's different once you get on the ice and things are things are for real. Uh, so, what did you think of the level of uh, of play? I was surprised from Friday's game, to be honest with you. I thought it was going to be a little bit ragged, a little you know, guys still playing uh, summer shinny kind of hockey. You know, uh, three on three games. You know, not a lot of defense play, but it was it was completely the opposite. In the first couple of minutes, there were some big hits. Guys wanted to get out there and and feel like they were in the game. It seemed like. Um, and, and, and so you felt that intensity right away. It ended up being a two nothing game. So not exactly the run and gun that a lot of the, the coaches that I had talked to had feared the, the opening weeks of the, the season were going to be, uh, then again, you, you look down the road in, uh, in Ann Arbor, uh, a, a day later in Michigan beats Arizona state eight to one. And so maybe, maybe that, uh, that goes game by game and, and team by team to, to see how that's going to be early in the season too. So I, I, I think there was, um, a, a good level of intensity for a first game of the season and, and, and more than I was expecting, really. Well, and I wanted to ask you about some of the other Big Ten teams as well, and I, I found it interesting that only half of the league or half the conference teams were actually in action on, on the opening weekend. Uh, is that by design or was something going on there? Uh, a little bit by design, a little bit in, in spreading out the schedule. Um, teams are playing between, I believe it's 8 and 12 games before Christmas. So not everyone has to play every weekend, and especially with more midweek games going on. College hockey is normally a Friday-Saturday experience, uh, especially here in the Midwest and in the West. Um, But this year, with schedules being a lot more open because there's not a fan or an audience to to play to, you don't have to play at 7 o'clock on a Friday and Saturday. You can play at 4 o'clock on a Wednesday. And and, maybe it might be better for TV. You can get the Big Ten Network to show it at that point because they don't have other programming in the way um, that, you know, makes the, the scheduling a little bit uh, more flexible for teams so they can get in some games at, at, at different times. Um, and so you're seeing, I think, a few more teams starting this upcoming weekend 
Uh, Notre Dame takes the weekend off because they're in finals already. Uh, so it, you're balancing a, a few different uh, uh, elements in, in getting that schedule off early. And it took a long time for them to get to this first half of the schedule. It, it didn't come out to the public until eight days before uh, the season started. And as, as they understand it, it was still a work in progress, even for behind the scenes up until a day or two before that. Mm. Yeah, I see Penn State and Minnesota get going uh, next weekend, Michigan State as well. And, of course, Arizona State sort of uh, honorary status as a Big Ten member this year. That I kind of like that. From the outside looking in, I, I like well, I like having an even number of teams inside the conference. But it seems, from my perspective, like a good fit. Geographically a little weird, but uh, if, if moving forward, Arizona State was uh, included in the Big Ten, I think that would be a nice fit. What do you think? Well, Tony Granato has said that too in in the past, the Badgers coach, that he thinks this is a nice tryout for Arizona State. Um, they've got an arena uh, that's about to start being built. Be built, uh, I believe it's supposed to open in uh, before the 2022 season, um, and, and and so that's I think the last piece that has to get in place for them to be. Are really attractive for a conference. You know, you mentioned the geography. It doesn't really fit into any league um, <laughs> within bus ride <laughs> yeah. uh, for for anyone. Uh, but uh, Arizona State this year has shown that they're willing to to do whatever they need to do to to make things happen. They're playing all twenty eight of their games against big 10 teams in big 10 buildings. Mm. So right now they're, they're in the middle of a, a 22 day road trip. Um, <laughs> I saw a picture on Twitter of the, their equipment guy packing the number of sticks that he thought they would need for, for, you know, three weeks plus on the road uh, with, I believe playing eight games in that time. So it's, um, it's, it's a, it's, it's going to be a grind for them, but this is kind of what they had to do to play some games because as an independent, you, in a atmosphere where uh, conferences are really looking to tighten things up and just play conference schedules for, for a lot of the leagues in college hockey this year, uh, they didn't have a whole lot of options. So this came up, they jumped at it. And I, I think it's, um, it is going to be an interesting uh, maybe trial run to see if Arizona state fits in. I, I, I wonder if it has a little bit to do with whether Illinois, which has been rumored to be starting a team, sometime soon, but kind of got sidetracked during the pandemic, uh, whether they would become the eighth Big Ten team, and then you know, maybe you're looking at someone else, maybe jumping at Arizona State, but uh, there, there's there's a lot that can happen there. Well, it'd be nice to have that uh, road trip in January down to Arizona too, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, no kidding. I think a lot <laughs> of us are thinking about that, yeah. All right, let's uh, talk about uh, the other story around the, the Badgers, and that's with Dylan Holloway uh, going to, um, now he's with Team Canada, uh, in Red Deer to try to make the World Junior team, and I know that's been a, a somewhat controversial story. Uh, from your perspective, just kind of uh, sum it up for uh, the audience with the timing of the Big Ten schedule and uh, when Hockey Canada announced they're going to have this extended uh, training camp and sort of the conflict there for, for Holloway and for the Badgers. Yeah, so it, it, you know, I think everyone's known for a while though now that Hockey Canada is planning a longer uh, world junior camp because, you know, a, a bunch of different reasons. You got the, the coronavirus to worry about. You've got, uh, the lack of, uh, OHL and WHL games. Uh, and so for, for a lot of their, their team, they, they need guys in, in meaningful competition or, you know, good high level practices, if nothing else, that isn't necessarily the case with the, the NCAA players. And so, 
there were four of them invited. Uh, one of them was Bill Holloway, as you mentioned. One of them was Owen Power from, from Michigan, who, as we found out in the last week, is not going to be uh, attending the camp at least right away. Um, but Dylan Holloway is, and, and that was a little bit contentious within the Wisconsin program because Tony Granato thought that, you know, if, if there's an opportunity for a player like Holloway to play meaningful big 10 games, you know, not, not a low level of hockey, um, he, he should be doing that instead of going to spend four weeks in a camp that, you know, is going to be, I know there's some games scheduled against the U sports team and some exhibitions, you know, scrimmages, those kind of things. But the intensity, I think, of the hockey is is going to be greater at Wisconsin. Now, you can understand both sides of it. Holloway desperately wants to be part of this team. Every Canadian kid wants to be part of this team, right? So um, you want to do everything you can to be there uh, at that camp. But you've also got a team here at Wisconsin that you don't want to, you know, just give up on it and say, we'll see you in January um, when you're have a chance of playing 10 games that, that now apparently he's going to miss uh, with the Badgers. So, I mean, it's a real delicate balancing act. And, and in the end, Tony Granato said, look, I'm not going to stand in the way of a kid's ability to play in this tournament, but I think it could have been done better from, from hockey Canada's perspective. Yeah. And I agree. I agree completely with that actually. And I know there are people on this side of the border who say, you know, with the Owen Power situation in Michigan, they think, oh, well, it's the American school screwing over the Canadian kid, not realizing Mel Pearson's Canadian, <laughs> first off, right. that head coach at Michigan. Uh, but I, I agree completely with what you said. I think he could practice and play at Wisconsin, whereas he's only going to practice with Canada. I do understand from the Canadian perspective about team chemistry and you want to have all these guys practicing and bonding together for that full month before the tournament starts. And if you just bring in four guys, four college guys, two and a half weeks into that uh, month long camp, it might upset the apple cart a little bit, but this is, these are unusual times in a normal year. The camp wouldn't start till December 8th or whatever. So yeah, I I kind of understand all perspectives in the end. Did it come down to Dylan Holloway? Did he, was the choice left up to him? I think so to, to some degree, you know, he's, he's the one that he's holding a lot of the cards here. He could, he could be going to play somewhere else if he wanted to right away anyway. Uh, so I think uh, Wisconsin grudgingly came to the uh, understanding that, yeah, this is, you know, if he really wants to be in this tournament, this is what he has to do. Uh, now we'll wait and see how the Owen power situation turns out, whether hockey Canada wants him uh, still, whenever Michigan decides that it uh, wants to to let him go, now uh, Michigan and, and Wisconsin both wanted to wrap up their first half of the season by uh, they both finished December ninth. So that would be normally when these World Junior camps are going to start. And you know, so the next day, I think the U.S. players go to the U.S. camp. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a little bit of uh, you know, if it was good enough for the U.S. guys, why isn't it good enough for the Canadian guys? Um, but that gets into a whole different dynamic of, you know, like you're talking about timing and, and team building and those kind of things. It's, it's just there are different strategies and how this is working this year. All right. Uh, lastly, before I let you go, the Badgers on the ice. Uh, Holloway is a big loss for that club. He scored two goals on the weekend. One of them was a dandy in, in the second yeah. game. I was watching that one. Um, but did, uh, what are the expectations for the Badgers this year? Was, you know, a bottom cellar-dwelling team in the conference last year with a lot of high-end talent on the club, and some of those guys have moved on. Moved on. Okay, Andre Miller is an example. Uh, so what are, uh, and Alex Turcotte as well. 
uh, what are expectations mm-hmm. for the Badgers this year? Well, uh, from the exterior, uh, they're lower. I mean, they're picked for fifth in the Big Ten out of seven teams, and so that's better than the seventh place they finished last year. Seventh place was really a, I mean, as as shocking as it was, it it, it didn't reflect that. I mean, there were a lot of games that the Badgers played well for 45 or 50 minutes and and just lost it based on those you know, five or 10, 15 minutes that they, that it kind of fell apart. And I, I was interested to see on Saturday's game when they lost those leads and it looked like it was going to uh, maybe be slipping away from them like it was in a lot of games last year. They were able to pull it back. And so I think that's a an interesting uh, element of growth and maybe a different mentality in this year's team. At least they're hoping it is. They they were saying that after the game that this is, you know, this is the way we need to respond to those kind of things. We need to get back and get the next goal and just shake it off. Um, so if they can do that, if that's a a consistent level for them, you know, they're going to give up goals. They're going to you know have some stretches where they're on the on the back foot. But uh, if they get past that and and play to an, you know a level that I think they're capable of playing. They've got some good pieces. Obviously, Cole Caulfield's still on this team. They've got Ty Pelton Bice, who, who could have a really good senior year. Linus Weisbach, a Buffalo pick, who is who is hoping to have a breakout year. Finally, um, they they've got the pieces that that can be pretty good. They need some goaltending to be established. Good start there with Robbie Bay doing a graduate transfer in goal this weekend, uh, but they've got to see that continue. Uh, if all those pieces come together, uh, I think they could have a, a, a pretty good year. Who is the team to beat in the conference in your mind? I I really like Michigan. If those freshmen, I mean, there's a really really impressive freshman class comes yeah. together and, and plays the the way you know if they get through the first half in in good shape, I think by the second half they're going to be one of the best teams in college hockey. But you've also got Minnesota that's bringing an awful lot back from from last season and really high level players that were. Uh, hitting their stride when when last season ended, and so I think those two teams are kind of one and two. I'm not really sure what order I'd put them in, but I mean the the Big Ten is just such a a, a league where it's tough to pull away from anyone else, and so I think it's going to be a a pretty tight battle throughout. I should ask you one more uh, quickly, and and just I was going to say let's hope the season continues on and and uh, there's no issues and we get to play uh, throughout and into spring and have a national tournament and all of that. I wanted to ask you about the bubble format the the NCHC is doing, and could you see the Big Ten uh, explore that possibility in the second half if uh, what happens with the NCHC goes well? Well, the coaches were actually thinking about that for this first half of the season originally as part one of the ideas that they had that they would all get together at Notre Dame, which is pretty much the most centrally located school, and play some of their longer road trips right. uh, in in that. So Wisconsin would play Penn State and Ohio State to avoid having to do those longer trips. Um, it, it turned out that they, they felt like they could do it all on campus for the first half. Um, I, I haven't heard necessarily a talk about that, but I think as you know, the case counts come up again, it, it might be something they, they think about uh, uh, a little more strong uh, going into the second half of the year. Yeah, we'll have to see on that. Excellent. Uh, Todd, what do you got coming up at the uh, Wisconsin State Journal? Boy, all hockey all the time now, which is kind of the way I like it this time of the year. We've got the, these games against uh, Michigan coming up uh, on Thursday and Friday, which are going to be uh, heavily viewed, I would imagine, by the scouting community, given uh, uh, the amount of talent that's on, on the ice on both sides here. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, thanks for your time today. I hope you don't mind if I call you again. And uh, till then, stay safe. Absolutely. Thank you. You too.
Todd Maluski from the Wisconsin State Journal also uh, spent a lot of time at USCHO when I chatted with him a bit about that uh, outside of the, the actual interview. I think all the times that he'd been on the show previously, it was uh, while he was with USCHO. So good to catch up with him and always appreciate his insight on uh, the Badgers and Big Ten and college hockey in general. The Badgers back in action this weekend taking on the Michigan Wolverines. Both clubs go 2-0 and on opening weekend. So a matchup of uh, early conference leaders in that one. Uh, Michigan is expected to be very strong this year. Wisconsin, as we talked about there with Todd, uh, should be better than last year, but uh, expectations aren't huge uh, for the Badgers, so they've got a tough test against the Wolverines this weekend. Let me know what you thought of uh, the whole Dylan Holloway situation from uh, Wisconsin's perspective, if you can understand it, or if you still think that uh, he, as he has done, should have been uh, going to Canada's camp uh, at the start of uh, the camp. Uh, again, my understanding is he's actually quarantining right now, but I, I don't know that uh, 100%. I'm not in Red Deer covering the event. I did see uh, TSN's Ryan Rashog reporting from Red Deer that Kirby Doc and Dylan Cousins showed up uh, about 30 seconds too late for practice today, so we're sent off the ice by uh, head coach Andre Tourne. So a little uh, tough love to start the camp. It's probably not a bad thing moving forward. You know both those guys are on the team, but you kind of want to make an example and set a standard at the beginning of camp, so I understand that. Maybe I'll uh, seek to get Ryan on the show before the tournament starts. Coming up next, uh, closer to home here in Alberta, the uh, commissioner of the Alberta Junior Hockey League is uh, Ryan Bartoshek. He's going to join me, talk about the start of this regular season, which went this past weekend. Games are going. Almost every team was in action. Uh, more games scheduled, obviously, for this weekend and moving forward. Just all the hurdles that the league had to uh, clear and uh, put everything in place so that they could start the regular season. It's been a long time uh, coming. We'll talk to Ryan about that next here on the Pipeline Show. Hi, it's Colton Point of the Carlton Place Canadians. Hey, it's Matthew Barnaby of the Pembroke Lumber Kings. Hello, it's Matthew Seaston here from the Sandback Pistons. Hey, it's Nick Campoli from the North York Rangers. Giant Iconic here. I'm Dante Fabro of the Penticton Bees. Hi, this is Dennis Chilofsky, playing for the Chilliwack Chiefs. Hey, it's Kale McCarr of the Brooks Bandits. I'm Jacob Bernard Docker of the Oak Trokes Oilers. Nicholas Jones of the Sherwood Park Crusaders. This is Cody Kunick, formerly played for the Sherwood Park Crusaders. Kevin Kahn, former Spruce Grove Saint. I'm Brandon Hickey, former member of the Spruce Grove Saints. This is David Glenn of the Spruce Grove Saints. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Spruce Grove Saints, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Spruce Grove Saints AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at SG Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash is King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of the Pipeline Show. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hello there. Time now for Inside the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Back on the Pipeline Show as we continue on uh, keeping up to date on everything happening around the uh, world of uh, hockey prospects. And uh, here in Alberta, 
uh, things just underway in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And to join me to talk about that and the challenge to get to this point is the commissioner of the league, uh, Ryan Bartoshik. Well, Ryan, welcome back to the uh, Pipeline Show. It's been a while. How are things for you? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you making the time. Uh, exciting because the league is now underway, uh, getting the regular season going. It's been a, I'm sure it's been a very challenging uh, period. And uh, the efforts to get to this point where you're able to launch the regular season, maybe walk us through that. Just how difficult has the last three or four months been for you in the league? Yeah, very, very fortunate and excited to to be back on the ice, uh, <laughs> launching our regular season last weekend and and playing hockey as it's intended to be played. So um, I think that fact is is important. But yeah, I mean the process and the conversation started earlier in the summer as far as um, you know what it would look like for us to come back and and if we could come back and you know. Uh, you know, day to day, month to month, there's, there's unknowns. And, uh, like I said, those conversations with the Alberta government, with Alberta health, with the premier's office, with other stakeholders and partners, um, those were continuous throughout the summer and, and are continuous right now. And, um, you know, working with the NCAA and, and, you know, the Western League and just gathering information from them. And, you know, even some of our medical staff were, were involved in, in the NHL bubble. So obviously we operate on a, on a different level, but, you know, in the same sense, we can take information and, and key learning points from, from those groups as well. So, you know, for us, again, to get back on the ice September 1 in what we called our development season uh, was important. Uh, essentially what happened there were all our players were able to come into our communities and it was what it was was you know an extended training camp and to get guys back on the ice to get them back together uh, again to get them back in our communities and and at that point you know we were waiting on on things to change and um, we were able to get our rosters down to, to 25 and from there just play exhibition and the sporting guidelines allowed us to play one team. So, um, you know, we kind of navigated through that phase and, um, you know, continuous discussions with the government, again, allowed us to be included in new regulations and guidelines that came out in mid-October, uh, which expanded our sporting cohort, which essentially allowed us to play uh, more than one team and ultimately allowed us to structure a regular season. So, um Again, lots of lots of conversations and, and a lot of work behind the scenes. And, you know, for myself and, and for our teams, you never really know what, what's coming on a day-to-day basis or, you know, what's on the other end of a phone call. But uh, the reality is I'm, I'm very proud of our organizations and, and our athletes, and it's definitely a privilege to be playing the game, and, and they've taken on a certain responsibility for us to, to get to this point. And you make it the, the, uh, the point of how quickly things can change and how things have developed. Uh, so rapidly over the last couple of uh, months and even the last couple of weeks. Heck, last week, the Alberta government really cracked down and, and put a stop to most team sports. They made an exception for junior hockey. Just as you were about to launch the regular season, you were that close to getting shut down. Yeah, and, and like I mentioned, you know, a lot of behind-the-scenes work, and, and we were included in that document in, in mid-October. And, you know, it was important for us because they recognized the 
the you know, sophistication of our league and, and our business operations and how we operate and, and you know, essentially what we're able to do uh, within our communities and, uh, again, our responsibility to follow those guidelines and, and restrictions. So uh, we've been operating under those for over, almost over a month now. And, uh, again, you know, it's, it changes on a day-to-day basis. But for us to be able to launch meaningful games was, was important. Imagine you're looking to see how things are happening with other leagues who have started. Most notably in Canada would probably be the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and you know it's kind of been up and down a success for them. Uh, recently, the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, well, things in Manitoba got pretty bad, and they've uh, pretty much halted everything right now, I think, until after Christmas, right? So uh, do you follow what's happening with the other leagues to sort of learn from uh, how they've handled things to kind of adjust what you're doing? Yeah, and, and you know we're on on regular calls across the country with our various junior A leagues and, and commissioners, and, and I, I, like I mentioned as well, you know, getting feedback from from the CHL and, and their respective leagues on the challenges they face and, and how they're approaching things. Uh, and you know, like I said, it, it changes on a day to day basis, and, and you're just hopeful that we can continue on as be. Um, you know, we're not naive to the fact that hey, we are at, at the mercy of of public health and, and safety and we recognize that and those decisions since March 12th have been made for the benefit of, of safety and, and our communities and we recognize the importance of our communities to, to our organizations but as well are the benefit of our organizations to, to our communities so again it's it's coming back to you know the league and, and our individual teams and, and all the way down to our athletes just recognizing the privilege of, of playing right now and, and the responsibility we have. So it's important just to understand where, where everyone's at and, um, you know, even working with our facilities. All of our, our facilities are community-owned and, and there's different challenges there as far as guidelines and operations and staffing and um, those respective details. So it, like I said, it's it's been a challenge, but again, uh, I'm very proud of our group. Ryan, I get asked all the time, why? Why why even bother playing when this is going on? It's a global pandemic. Hockey, maybe in the big picture, isn't the most important thing. So why bother? And I have an answer for that, but I, I want to hear it from you, what, what you tell people. Uh, why even go through this? Yeah, I mean, since day one, we've, we've been following the guidelines and, and adhering to, to the restrictions and, um, you know, just the importance of, of the game to to the development of our athletes and, and our communities and um, that piece of the game of all the things that happen off the ice and the camaraderie and, and the learning and the development off the ice, I think uh, is even more so now. And um, you know, what <laughs> one day when, when hopefully we're, we're through with this, we can look back at, at this experience and, and be thankful that, you know, we got the opportunity to be in our communities and, um, you know, whether it's playing games or just practicing, I, I think it's important from uh, a development perspective and, and obviously a mental health perspective as well. So, you know, we've kind of gone through these phases of, um, you know, you, you want what you can't have. And uh, we were sitting there and, and not being able to be on the ice and you just wanted to get back on the ice. You just wanted to, you know, um, you know, touch, touch the ice with those skates for the first time. And, you know, we were fortunate to, to get to that point and, uh, we navigated safely through that. And, you know, after a certain point <laughs> within our, our, our training camps, guys are starting to dislike each other and they need some form of competition. And, you know, just that mental piece of, of the cycle of some sort of season is, is important as well. So uh, we got through that phase and 
you know, all of a sudden you're playing the same team six times and it's starting to get a little nasty and it's starting to feel like a playoff series and uh, you want to play other teams. So again, we, we navigated through that and, and we're fortunate to structure a regular season and see different teams and, um, you know, just back to the responsibility of uh, the privilege of, of playing the game. So, you know, it, it could change, it could change with a phone call in, in 10 minutes, but uh, we're, we're moving forward and uh, contributing to, to the development of our athletes. Well, and knock on wood that there isn't a, that phone call like that coming your way. But I mean, if you, if there are situations where there are positive case uh, or test results, uh, is it all about how you handle that moving forward and just all about rescheduling games and things like that? When those hurdles come, it's about how you clear them. Yeah, we've, we've had one case in, in one of our communities and, um, again, very proud of, of how that was handled and, uh, following the guidelines and procedures. And then really that's all you can do. To, um, is just follow what's in place and, and really go above and beyond really of, of the safety guidelines and um, going through the process. And, you know, if that phone call comes, we'll we'll go through it again and we'll have some flexibility on our end, but it comes back to the safety of our athletes and, and our communities as well. Uh, now, you've uh, got an influx of uh, players from the Western Hockey League into your league and uh, the other uh, four junior A leagues in uh, Western Canada have had the same as well. Was that an easy decision, or did did you kind of weigh the pros and cons of that? Because again, my first thought was that's uh, great for those players because they get to uh, start playing again, and it's good for their development. But the flip side of that is there's some AJ guys who might be losing their spots. So there's there's pros and cons to it. Was it an easy choice for you and your teams? Yeah, you know, we we talked to the Western League a little bit, and, and obviously we're aware that they're going to loan players to to our organizations, and and for us, we had an existing regulation in our bylaws. Um, limiting the number of, of major junior players that have played 41 games or more. So we had some guidelines within um, our bylaws already. And for for us, we, we really left it up to each organization as far as how they wanted to approach that situation. And, uh, you know, it came down to, to their program and their philosophy and the overall benefit of, of bringing those players into their organization. So um, it was a balance. And, and for, for some teams, they – they look to secure those players and, and for some they didn't and, and that's okay too. But, uh, the reality is it kind of comes back to their program and, and the benefit of, of bringing those players in and the development of those individual players as well as the rest of the team. So, um, you know, some of the guys are, are bringing a little more attention, uh, to some teams than, than others. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of, of, you know, how guys have handled it and, and recognize the importance of, you know, developing all players as well. I know some of the leagues in Canada have gone to a, a pay-to-play uh, just in a, if, to help the uh, franchises, the organizations to try to make some money because it's going to be challenging without, you know, a whole lot of advertising. Certainly not a lot of ticket sales uh, that'll be going on. Has that uh, come up in the AJHL at all? Yeah, we've had to move. We moved to a model early in in our development season um, where we had to ask our players and, and families for for support, and uh, it's been a balance through these first couple months as far as um, you know, securing resources from them, but also generating revenue through uh, local fundraising. Uh, we can only still get a hundred people in our building, so that that's created its own challenges as far as saying no to you know billets and families and sponsors and, and the scouting community too. So um, yeah, it, it's been a balancing act and, and a challenge. And uh, in order for us to move forward here and, and play meaningful games, uh, we've had to adjust and, and pivot a little bit and be flexible as far as how we operate. 
Now, I know most of your players, uh, the vast majority, would be from Alberta, but there are a number of other uh, Canadians as well as uh, some teams have a lot of American players. Has, was that an issue to get any of the, especially the uh, the, the non-Canadian players, into Alberta to, to play? Was that a challenge at all? Uh, there was documentation provided, and, and obviously we were aware of, of the restrictions at the border, and um and at the end of the day, the, the border agency made the decision on those players. And, um, you know, the majority of those players arrived earlier in the off season and, and were able to secure um, status within the country and, and be able to participate on our team. So, uh, yeah, it was just another another point where, you know, again, following the guidelines and the restrictions and, um, you know, <laughs> things we don't have control over we're, we're out of our hands so uh yeah it was definitely an interesting process uh just on a side note with when it comes to uh players uh, outside alberta coming to teams is there a any sort of um it's kind of like the cfl rule where you have to have so many cfl or canadian players on a cfl team do you have some sort of rule that a certain number of players have to be from alberta on the roster no no we don't have anything uh, associated with that the only restriction is on imports and and those are defined only as americans and um you know you can have a maximum of six so across the country those are the only restrictions uh on on imports again which are americans so uh, with a team like brooks i think there was i don't know 11 or 14 american or or, uh, non-alberta players on the roster does that look weird to you when you see an alberta junior hockey league team that only has seven albertan players on it uh, I, I think the game has changed and it's, it's become more cyclical in, in the sense of where where players are coming from. And, um, you know, you look at, at our league and, and as a whole, you know, I believe almost 70% of our players are, are Alberta born and, um, you know, guys often look to the west of us uh, as far as, you know, competition and, and the status of the BCHL and, um, you know, their model of, of predominantly bringing in a variety of players, not only homegrown, but from across the country and, and from the states as well. And, uh, you know, I think, again, the model's changing and also the fact that, players from across the country and, and the states want to come play in the AJHL and I think that's a good thing and you know overall it, it creates more competition and, and uh, uh, kind of you know drives drives things a little differently as far as you know the attention to our league and, and where we can attract players from so uh, you know again it really comes back to individual organizations and, and their flexibility on, on how they want to build their team within you know existing guidelines. Excellent. Uh, Ryan Bartoshik from the uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League, my guest. All right, moving forward the, this season, uh, are there a scheduling differences than in a normal year, or is it uh, pretty much when it comes to who can play against two? Is it uh, like a normal season, or how do you do things differently? No, we, we've structured it so you're just playing within your division, and, and obviously with the guidelines in place, there there's some more parameters that we had to follow. So, you know, scheduling was a bit of a challenge, but uh, we were able to schedule here and uh, for us, like I mentioned before, working with our individual facilities and, and communities, we need some collaboration with them. Uh, obviously, if if we can navigate a season through, um, you know, the new year and, and into spring, because a lot of those facilities won't keep their ice in or they're moving in with you know, lacrosse and, and other events. So, um, you know, just speaks to the collaboration we need to have within our community as far as how we structure things and, and schedule. But 
back to your back to your initial question, yeah, we're just playing in division, um, and we'll move forward hopefully with a full playoffs as well. You mentioned that earlier about that close association you have with the NCAA, and you are a primary feeder league of talent to the NCAA. Not having the big AJHL showcase at the start of the season, that's obviously a, a challenge for those schools down there to, to come and uh, scout the players. How do you kind of pivot from that? What do you do to, to replace that? I wonder, could you maybe go with a bubble format come playoff time or something like that? Um, or has any sort of other idea popped up on, on how to provide that uh, scouting opportunity for the colleges? Yeah, we've we've looked at some options uh, in the new year to to see if we can pull that off, and and we're still working behind the scenes to see if that's a possibility. And obviously, with all of our games on on hockey TV, that that becomes even more significant for us, and uh, for us stressing the importance of of the quality of those broadcasts and the feeds, and then broadcasting and just the overall impression that leaves on the league is is more so important than ever. So, uh, yeah, I mean, guys have built great relationships with that scouting community. And unfortunately we weren't able to to hold our annual showcase in, in late September, but you know, that, that really speaks to what we need to do moving forward. And, and again, I think that comes back with the relationships we built, and, you know, from the league office all the way down with our coaching staffs and um, respective general managers that, they're staying in constant communication with that group and then providing them what they need. And, and from a league level, we're ensuring that our hockey deep, hockey TV broadcasts are, are of quality. Uh, Ryan, finally, I know it's not this season, but next season you get another uh, team into the league to get back up to 16 clubs. How, how important was that for you from your perspective just to have eight teams in each uh, division to have that balance? Yeah, you know, very excited about welcoming Black Falls to the league and, and they're already doing work behind the scenes and, and they're excited to go. So I know their, their building is in the process of, of going up and, um, you know, they're working on what their roster may look like next season. So, you know, a great community there and, and really a great group involved in that team and, and behind the scenes, like I said, they're, they're putting in the work. They're really learning about, you know, the ins and outs of, of our league and, um, you know, what they need to be successful. And, and really that comes back to collectively helping each other out and ensuring that, you know, all of our organizations are, are operating in a quality fashion and uh, helping each other and, and really taking key learning points from, from our room to, to launch this new team. So again, very excited for that group and then looking forward to uh, being in the community of Black Falls next year. Excellent. Well, I know the AJHL continues to pump out players for the NHL draft. Another good draft uh, this past uh, year and uh, more talented players on the way again. So uh, I'm glad to see that the league is uh, up and running and uh, knock on wood, everything continues to move uh, forward smoothly. Uh, Ryan, I really appreciate your time. Great. Thanks a lot. Take care. That was the commissioner, Ryan Bartoshik from the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And uh, great to see that the league is underway and fingers crossed again, like with every other league that uh, is trying to play through a global pandemic. You really hope that there's success and that if and when, and I think you all have to expect that there will be positive test results that pop up and positive cases of COVID-19. It then becomes how do you adjust? How do you address what went wrong, how it happened? And, uh, move forward in a way that's uh, safe for everybody. I appreciate the commissioner's time and uh, all the details. And uh, listen, he wasn't ducking any questions. I, I was kind of intrigued to, to find out about the uh, Alberta content that teams have, if there was a, a, a quota or uh, at least uh, a minimum number of AJHL players from Alberta on each roster. The fact that there isn't one uh, surprised me a little bit, 
But I think most teams have the vast majority of their rosters are Albertans. Uh, Brooks is that one team that uh, seems to really buck that trend, although Bonneville's got a lot of uh, non-Alberta players as well, but not nearly as much as Brooks. Let me know what you thought of that interview. You can hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. You can always follow me there, or you can uh, become a patron at patreon.com slash show. Two bucks a month there, and uh, you can have early access to all these interviews as well. I spoke with Ryan on Tuesday of this week. So that interview has been available to patrons for a couple of days already at this point. There is one more segment to get to, but you're going to hear from two guests as we're going to Long Island University. The Sharks were supposed to begin NCAA play last weekend. That game was postponed. They get started tonight, actually. Uh, We're going to speak with former Alberta Junior Hockey League player, Sherwood Park Crusader alum, Jordan Franzak, and uh, the head coach of the LIU Sharks, That's Brett Riley to close out this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. All of that next. Up down to DeBrus, gains a tiger line, shoots, scored! Jake DeBrus does it again in overtime! Hey, it's Jake DeBrus of the Swift Current Broncos, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week has a lot of character. Bud, tell us about it. The Pesky Pig Pale Ale. Named after the little piggy that never went to the market, this super approachable pale ale has all kinds of citrus flavors, including huge grapefruit note. Player comparable, Matthew Kachuk. Always in the mix, and no matter what, you'd rather him on your team. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. That's Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Oh my... Back on the Pipeline Show, final segment for this week's episode as we have another NCAA campus report. We're going to head to LIU, the uh, Sharks' debut season. Lots of excitement around the team. Unfortunately, their game, first game uh, of the year was uh, postponed uh, this past weekend, but uh, we're going to connect with uh, one of the players and one of the coaches as well. Uh, first up, we're going to speak with uh, Jacob Franzak, who uh, was a Sherwood Park Crusader, now, uh, down south of the border, uh, Jacob, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. A pleasure to get a chance to speak with you right now. Maybe just give me a sense of what the, the mood is like around the team, around the program. As I mentioned, debut was supposed to be this past weekend. I imagine everybody was jacked up for that. And then it gets postponed. Yeah, so it's just such a unique opportunity, you know, being a first-year team. And all we kind of get the, uh, the opportunity to create our own culture and identity that could uh, stick with the program for, for a long time. Go back to when LIU became a an option for you. Uh, because, you know, hey, I'll be honest, a year ago, I'd never heard of the school. And there wasn't a program to, to uh, connect with. Uh, so how did it all come into the picture for you? Um, well, uh, after the season ended, of course, I was uh, looking for options and stuff. So um, Coach Riley reached out to me. And uh, obviously the stuff he was preaching was kind of uh, what I was looking for. He had a lot of hope in the program and um, just the, you know, what the stuff he was saying and the, the just kind of stuck with me. And um, he had a lot of uh, positive things to say and good coaching staff. So 
it kind of clicked right away. So it was exciting to get the opportunity to come here and play. Did you get a chance to go visit the campus and all that before you actually committed? No. So um, kind of I committed right during the COVID time. So um, we were kind of quarantined what happened, but um, coach reached through the phone. We were talking pretty consistently. So everything worked out. Um, now, I know for a lot of young guys, when they get to the, the program, they kind of got to find their way and uh, carve out a role for themselves. Um, do you know at this point, like what's expected of you? You're one of the younger guys on the team. So uh, what's uh, what do you look forward to this year? Um, well, it's just so exciting to be a part of this opportunity. We have such a great group of guys and it's just um, everyone's kind of the same. Like there's no separation from the the returning players. I mean, like the vets and the rookies. So the team's above everything. We have a great group of guys and who all want to be here and who all want to win. So uh, we just uh, stick to it and get better every single day we're on the ice. How long have you actually been down there now? Um, so I got here August 19th, quarantined for two weeks, and then been here ever since. All right. So that's quite a while now. At this point, are you feeling comfortable? How long did it take to to feel like you belong there instead of a stranger in a strange land type of thing? Um, it all came pretty naturally, actually. So I got down here and then obviously had to quarantine. So I wasn't in contact with many guys. But once I got out, like all the guys were really friendly. We got together a bit. So it was exciting times and uh, it's pretty natural coming here now. We're all we're all really close now. A lot of Canadians on the team, but I don't imagine there were many guys that you were familiar with uh, from your time in the AJ because a quick look at the roster, I don't see any other Albertans. Um, so I'm the only one from Alberta, but I uh, played against two guys. One was on Bonneville and then one was on Brooks. So I didn't know them personally, but uh, played against them numerous times. I got to ask about just the, the COVID situation, of course. So you're from up here, so you know what it was, what it's been like to kind of see it from this perspective, how it's gone in the U.S. Were you scared going down? Were you, I mean, you must have had some concerns. Yeah, obviously the numbers are a lot higher here. But um, no, I was just excited to kind of get down. We've been really good with um, like uh, safety precautions and stuff like that. We've been uh, kind of sticking to ourselves, wearing masks and sanitizing. So um, even with practices, we're wearing masks and stuff. So, um, yeah, we've just been staying positive and trying to stay as clean as possible. You connect with your family and your friends back home uh, as much as possible? Yeah, of course. My uh, my mom's pretty anxious. She wants to come down here as soon as possible. But um, family and friends pretty much uh, every, every day or every second day. All right. Uh, for... The uh, LIU uh, Shark fan base. Uh, what what do they uh, what should they expect from you this year? Uh, what kind of a player? What do you bring to the table for the Sharks? Um, well, I put the team first. Uh, the team's everything to me. Uh, whatever the team needs, uh, that's what I'll do. Anything to win. But personally, um, I like to think of myself as a 200 foot player that's really responsible. Kind of takes care of the D zone, and then you know um, when in the offensive zone, I like to be creative and uh, I'm more of a playmaker. I think for my line mates and stuff, but um, for the most part, just a responsible forward uh, team guy first. All right. And the, the disappointment for last weekend uh, being postponed, but you get right back at it, uh, I believe, in a couple days here, uh, Holy Cross on Thursday and, and uh, Sunday this this uh, this coming weekend. So uh, the excitement right back at it. Yeah, obviously, uh, with the game getting canceled uh, the past weekend, we have to, it was a quick turnaround. We we can't hang our heads or anything like that. We, uh, we stayed positive, had a good week of practices, and, you know, we're looking forward for Thursday. What number are you wearing this year? I'm wearing number 13. And uh, the big reveal for the jerseys, I don't think I've seen official uh, uh, pictures, photos, or anything like that. Uh, but we know the, the color scheme, uh, the powder blue and the yellow. How's it look on the ice? Have you seen them? No, I haven't seen the, the jerseys yet. We've kind of got like little teaser pics, but it's yeah. all going to be exciting when it, when it comes out. 
Awesome. Well, uh, listen, uh, Jacob, I really appreciate your time. Uh, wish you the best of luck this year. And uh, will you be coming back for Christmas or how's that going to work with the whole travel restrictions? Yeah. So uh, we're staying here for the holidays uh, yeah. throughout Christmas and stuff. Okay. Well, best of luck this year, man. I uh, appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Let's continue on uh, talking LIU Sharks and uh, pleased to be joined now by the uh, the head coach of the Sharks. Uh, that is uh, Coach Brett Riley. Uh, coach, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on here. I appreciate you making the time. I was just talking to uh, Jacob about the, you know, the start to this season and just such a frantic pace for the whole program to get off the ground and running. And then you have that build up the excitement for the first game and then it gets uh, postponed. Uh, the The excitement uh, followed by the disappointment with a bit of a roller coaster this week. Yeah, it's definitely been that. I think that's been a theme of putting the program together. There's going to be highs. There's going to be lows. Um our guys are so focused on the day in front of them. Um, you know, I won't kid you, it was disappointing, uh, but back to work the next day. And I'm, you know, very proud of the way not only they've handled this past week, you know, with that you know, minor disappointment, but this entire preseason, um, they've worked hard. They've worked tirelessly. Um, there's been a lot of unknown start date, first game scheduling agreement, um, and they've just controlled what they can. So, um, we would have loved to have played last week. We're you know, looking forward to playing this week. And uh, every day that we're on the ice here, uh, we appreciate and don't take for granted. I have no idea what goes into putting together a program or even just a, a schedule for a season, uh, let alone an entire program. You have had to do this uh, very quickly. That's got to be a monumental task. How do you go about it? Where do you start? Um, I think you start by maximizing every minute of every day. There's so much to do. Um, you, the, the kind of the big three, in my opinion, would be obviously the recruiting, um, yeah. and then the scheduling, uh, this year it was rescheduling after that. Um, and then everything in between, you know, the third would be miscellaneous. So you've got order jerseys, equipment, um, get students enrolled, work with housing, um, to setting up classes, uh, to visas for our Canadian players. So, uh, recruit schedule and then fire away on every, any other task in between, but, um, you know, I, I'm lucky to have two really good assistants, um, that helped along the way. And, you know, here we are in November, uh, hoping for the puck to drop here. When did you officially, uh, join the program? Uh, I want to say in mid May, it's such a blur now. Um, you know, since we've went full throttle, it hasn't been a, you know, a day off. Um, you know, so it all kinds of blends together, kind of speaking back to that roller coaster here. All right. Well, and then getting back to the, the recruiting process. Uh, it's one thing to start, you know, in a normal off season, but when there hasn't been any hockey for a couple of months already at that point, are, are you watching a ton of video of guys? Uh, how do you, how do you go about the recruiting process when there's no hockey to watch? Yeah, I, th I think I was lucky to you know have a pretty good idea on the player pool from, um, you know, watching a lot last year at Colgate. Um, you know, there was a committed player uh, on Sherwood Parks. So that's, you know, where I got to know Jacob a little bit as a player. Um, you know, and you rely on kind of the homework you've done and, you know, due diligence of knowing junior coaches um, and everyone in between. And then obviously in a day and era like this, you go back to watching a lot of videos. So uh, I, I'm also fortunate. My dad is with the Sabres and watches, you know, more hockey than anyone. So I leaned on him and notes and, uh, you know, everyone in between um, to put this group together. Uh, obviously, we want, you know, best players available. But for us, a lot of it was about character and due diligence and bringing in really good kids. And I think we, you know, the end results, we are pleased with the people we have on our campus too. 
if you'd had a, a like say an entire calendar year to prepare for this uh, season, uh, what would you have done differently, or what did you have to change uh, because you started in May? Um, the recipe was still the same um, in terms of get elite people that are bought into program building. Um, I think the only thing variable that would be different would obviously be time. Um, you know, more time to watch and collect, you know, notes and due diligence. But for uh, the time frame that we were given, um, we stuck with our plan, which was find ultra competitive kids um, that come from winning programs like Jacob. Uh, you know, he's a great example. Uh, wore a letter on one of the best teams in Canada uh, in Sherwood Park. And we got a lot of guys uh, like him that believe in building something and want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. So uh, the end results, you know, we're very pleased with. I imagine you have assumptions of what your team will look like on the ice and who will be your go-to guys in whatever situation, offensively, defensively, and so on. But until you start actually playing, do you know for sure? No, I think the way this team is constructed, um, it will be success by committee. Um, we've got a lot of guys with chips on their shoulder, whether it's, you know, second school or passed over by other programs or recommitted. Um, so if we're going to have success, it will be team success and it will be, you know, 18 or 19 guys. Uh, we're very fortunate that we have three transfer goalies that all offer great experience We've got a veteran decor, um, you know, and two transfer forwards up front that will add instant offense, uh, but also a lot of young, hungry forwards that we think can bring instant success. So I can't pinpoint one name, and hopefully that's the beauty of it, um, right. that it's going to be different guys on different nights. That's kind of been a staple or mantra of teams I've coached in the past um, is different guys on different nights. And I think that's the beauty of this level is, um, you know, there's very few – individuals that can take over games you know we're going to need everyone here coach when it came to you with setting up the schedule and finding opponents usually those the schedules are set for teams well in advance of a season aren't they so that must have been a challenge and then you throw the whole global pandemic into the mix and that further muddies the water yeah i, I was lucky like i said uh, my dad helped a lot in the builds you know just being in the hockey world the former you know division one head coach and ahl head coach and um, you know, he had reached out to some old friends and we got, uh, what looked like a decent little schedule. Um, and then teams started changing and we got a great schedule. Um, and then it went to league only. So we had to reschedule. Um, and then we were fortunate to get a scheduling agreement with Atlantic hockey. So it was a roller coaster in that, um, we had games, we lost games, we had games, we lost them. And ultimately we're really pleased with what we have in terms of a scheduling agreement with Atlantic hockey. Do you think this association this year with Atlantic Hockey could be sort of a test run to see how you fit with the, the rest of the conference moving forward? For sure. Um, I, I can't say for certain. We're just fortunate to be playing these games. What we do with them is up to us. Um, I think teams will be very pleasantly surprised when they come to our rink and see the facilities that we have, um, you know, that they're above par and too standard in modern day college hockey world. Um, and you know, I think we'll see how it goes and, um, roll with the punches from there. Did you pick the brains of guys like, uh, coach powers at ASU and, and Guy Godowski in Penn state to kind of, uh, get a feel of what it was like for them to start a, a new program up and, and take anything from their experiences for yourself? Yeah. I, I talked to coach powers at length, obviously to see the success of Penn state and Arizona state, um, you know, is certainly inspiring. You know, and we hope one day to be at that level. Um, Coach Powers has offered, you know, a wide variety of 
knowledge, the highs, the lows, things you would do differently. Um, and ultimately, you know, their model that they have works. Obviously, we're a different brand, a di different entity, um, you know, and we'll take some of that advice and, you know, try and, you know, build our brand within New York and, and on Long Island here. All right. Lastly, the coaching job, an NCAA head coaching job. I think it would be silly for me to ask why you wanted to take on the job, but did you seek out LIU? Did they call you? How did that all come together? Yeah, I would say um, somewhere in between. You know, I love to put pieces together and build. Um, I am up for a challenge. I think when people saw skepticism of this timeline and putting a program together during a pandemic, that only intrigued me more um, mm -hmm. to want to prove people it could be done. And obviously, we've got a great location here, um, a great university. We've got a lot to offer on so many different fronts. So now that I'm here, um, there's still a ton of work to do. But I couldn't be more pleased with the university as a whole and you know the 26 guys we have on our roster. Coach, I really appreciate your time. I certainly wish you the best of luck this season. It's going to be a fun one to watch uh, from even from afar like, uh, like we are up here in Canada. Uh, you got a lot of Canadian players. I imagine recruiting from Canada will be something you you continue to to do moving forward. Uh, best of luck against Holy Cross as you kick the season off. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it here. All right, that was head coach Brett Riley, as well as uh, former Sherwood Park Crusader and uh, now freshman with the LIU Sharks. That's uh, Jacob Franzak. Uh, both of them joining me courtesy of Zoom this past week, but we'll call it the Troubled Monk Hotline. I appreciate uh, Casey's help. She's the uh, media contact uh, for LIU. It's actually the first interview that I've done for the Pipeline show that I did via Zoom. I know I did back when uh, the WHL had Commissioner Ron Robison uh, do a conference call. Uh, that was done via Zoom as well, and I used that for the show. Uh, but this was the first time it was one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews done via Zoom. A little bit different uh, format, uh, but I appreciate the, the help from Casey for sure. And uh, I, I'm, I have to admit, I'm kind of excited. I haven't seen the jerseys yet, and it was interesting to hear Jacob say they haven't, the players haven't seen the jerseys yet. They start tonight on the ice, so won't be much longer until uh, we've all seen the jerseys. I imagine they're going to be very similar to the ladies' team, which uh, was in action last year. Uh, pretty sharp, honestly, to me. Uh, the powder blue with the bright yellow. We'll see if uh, the men's team uh, puts their own spin on it uh, or not. I know the team tweeted out pictures of the goaltender pads. I can't say I was uh, really high on those, but whatever. Just good to see that that uh, program. And, man, uh, one thing that uh, Coach Riley said about proving everybody wrong about how many doubters there were, I was one of them. I didn't know how you would be able to start a program in May to get ready for the fall with not having – I mean, they had no club team. Where they were – you know, remember Arizona State and Penn State? They had club teams where some of those players – could play Division One. They were moving up with the program to Division One. Well, that's not the case with LIU. They're starting from scratch. Zero players, zero staff, zero equipment, and they had all of it in place for September. And maybe that's a bit of a blessing in disguise that it was pushed back here now till uh, late November for them. Although I'm sure they'd uh, they'd prefer a world that did not have uh, uh, you know a global pandemic happening. But if there's one team that might actually have some sort of benefit from a, a delayed start, it might be a program that didn't exist six months ago. Really curious to see how they make out this year. I think everybody should expect it's going to be a tough battle for them, tough go as a, a brand new, almost basically like an expansion team. Uh, but they're playing in a conference that they might have uh, some success with. Atlantic Hockey is, you know, the weaker of the uh, the conferences out there. 
that's not to say there is there aren't some strong teams in the conference because there definitely are. But we'll see. It'll be interesting to watch from afar if we can watch. That would be great too. Uh, both the uh, NCAA Campus Report segments that you heard today uh, brought to you by College Hockey Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family and they need to know what they can and can't do to maintain their NCAA eligibility, uh, contact Mike Snee or Nate Ewell at College Hockey Inc. And uh, that is a great resource. Uh, they'll answer some of the questions you might have because there are things that you need to know, uh, things you're not allowed to do that would negate your uh, eligibility. So uh, get in touch with them and they'll help steer you in the right direction. That does it for this week's episode. I appreciate all the guests that you heard me via the Troubled Monk hotline, and I appreciate you, the audience, as well, especially those who are supporting the show. A couple of bucks a month is all it takes, and you can have early access to all these interviews. You go to patreon.com slash show. If you uh, like the show and you think it provides a, a service and has some value, then I would appreciate if you have the ability to support the show a little bit. That would be fantastic. And uh, my sincere gratitude for those of you who have. There's been a flurry of activity here as of late, probably because there's been some hockey that's starting up. So I appreciate that. But that does it for this week. So uh, until next week's show, don't have uh, any specific guests lined up just yet. Uh, but obviously we'll recap what happens this weekend. Look ahead to next weekend's action. Keep our eyes on the World Junior Championship. And we might start looking uh, more closely at the 2021 draft as well now that games are starting to play in more and more leagues. Until then, keep treating each other with respect and dignity and uh, kindness as uh, we are all struggling with uh, COVID-19 and uh, cases around the world still escalating. Stay safe, take care of yourselves and each other, and we will talk to you next week. My name is Keith Flaming. See ya.